नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारवक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑलराइट सो माय गेस्ट टुडे इज पॉल एंटोनोपुलस एंड पॉल इज बैक ऑन द पॉडकास्ट बट दिस टाइम वी आर गोइंग टू बी टॉकिंग अबाउट समथिंग अ लिटिल मोर कंट्रोवर्शियल एंड टेनुअस इफ आई वाज टू से जस्ट टू गिव यू गाइस अ ब्रीफ बैकग्राउंड रिसेंटली आई केम अक्रॉस अ थ्रेड दैट पॉल हैड mentioned uh, shared on twitter and for the benefit of uh, the viewers at least on youtube i want to put that up on the screen i know if you're listening to the audio version i apologize you cannot see but this is the thread so it uh, it started from 15 december 2020 where paul shares a uh, a series of incidents uh, which are related to sexual assaults on women in greece uh, uh, by members of a particular community uh and from very specifically of a country is what i'm talking about as you see on the screen there are different cases shared at different times by paul now this caught my eye and uh, and i'll tell you why it caught my eye um because at the end of the thread where we come all the way down over here so it says uh, the word there was a specific word that was used and it was uh, basically it's, if i may interrupt the specific term you're looking for uh, which i won't mention it just now myself i it's in a separate tweet that i made so it's not specifically in uh-huh. this thread yeah i know so um, so that that tweet uh, obviously paul you mentioned uh, the words uh, love jihad now that clearly a uh, rings an alarm bell uh, in a person like uh, my with a person like me is uh because i am very careful when it comes to using those words which is why even when i designed the podcast today i said is there love jihad in greece because uh, for people who don't uh, people in india the word love jihad has a specific connotation and a specific history it was coined by the kerala catholic church by the way it was not coined by the hindu community in india it was coined by the catholic church in india and uh, it was about a specific issue in kerala and then it has been picked up and uh, in in my honest opinion paul sometimes it has been blatantly misused in india and it has been tried and and i completely understand that our discussion today has nothing to do with what it is uh, about in india so i just want to put this all on record before we start the discussion and before we do all of that paul thanks for coming on the podcast thank you once again for having me and um i'm back uh, a lot sooner than i was expecting and i'm happy about that fact but unfortunately this is the topic we're discussing which is obviously not one that i would like to be having um now to to address what you just brought up uh, you you brought up that long twitter thread uh, which is quite substantial as you can see and unfortunately i've missed out on several cases that have occurred since i started that thread in december uh, 2020 and i know that in india the term love jihad has got a quite a controversial uh, debate surrounding it and obviously i won't be entering that debate but people may ask more well, than why did i use that term why didn't i use grooming gangs for example which is the more commonly used term in the united kingdom for example and i believe that there's an argument that can be made that is actually quite different uh, grooming gangs and love jihad um and i i i would suggest that the grooming gangs doesn't necessarily have the intention of of the final goal being conversions it's usually more so about immediate sexual gratification um 
prostitution, uh, th things like this. So there's a, a very real criminal element to it. Love Jihad, I would suggest, uh, is, is with the aim of demographic change. Uh, and it's not just some crazy right-wing conspiracy that I'm bringing up, uh, you know, that we'll often hear in the West or, or perhaps in India, I'm not sure, but certainly in the West about demographic change and things like this. And the reason why I say it's not, a, at least in the Greek context, a right-wing conspiracy is that I'll go back to um, the former Turkish prime minister of the early 1990s, Tugat Ozil. And this is from his own mouth, word for word. He said in the context of um, going to war with Greece um, uh, and in, in, in the context of, of, sorry, not going to war with Greece, but being dominant over Greece. He said that we don't need to go to war with Greece. We just need to send them one million immigrants and be done with Greece. That was word for word what he said from his own mouth in the 1990s. So, the Turks themselves have expressly said that they've got a goal of demographic change um, towards Greece. Now, when we're talking about one million individuals in the context of Greece, which today is a country of 10.4 million people, you know, that's a huge, substantial uh, population. So for us, when we hear rhetoric such as um, demographic change and things for us, this isn't just some right-wing conspiracy for us in Greece. This is something that, that's a very direct threat and something that's very real and serious for us. So in, that, in, in this way, when I, when I first came across the term love jihad um, in this application in India, and as I said, I'm not entering the debate whether uh, it should be applied to India or not, but when I came across this term and I read it, uh, a lot of this, um, a lot of these behaviours that, that Lovji had described is the exact behaviours that we're seeing the Pakistani community in Greece uh, engaging in. So there's this similar pattern, and and this is why I came to the conclusion of using Lovji had instead of grooming games. Now here's my question, then, Paul. Now. It's very important to explain that, especially the last part. Now, you have specifically said there are certain Pakistani gangs that are doing this because from what I have understood in whatever little conversations I've tried to have with you and offline, online, and whatever reading I've tried to do to understand is that there is a significant Turkic Muslim minority in certain parts of Greece too. And this particular phenomenon has nothing to do with them. Am I right or am I wrong? It is absolutely correct. So I would argue, at least within the Greek context, that it's not necessarily a religious issue, um, but one that 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 mixes uh, Pakistani cultural uh, and and adopting you know specific parts of Islam to to justify their their criminal acts. So you brought up a national minority in Greece, and it's actually the only minority in Greece that's recognised outside of the Greek people. And it's just a broad term, Muslim minority. And they number approximately 150,000 individuals. And they're the leftover Muslims who did not migrate to Turkey during the population exchange that we had with Turkey in 1923-1924, um, similar to, to what occurred with partition um, with India, uh, we had our own population exchange, and they're the Muslim element that were not 
forced to leave Greece. They were allowed to remain in, in that particular region of Greece. And there are there are a mixture of Greek Muslims, Turkish-speaking Muslims, uh, Pomakis who are Slavic-speaking Muslims, and the Roma population. Uh, and the overwhelming majority of them, they live their lives very normally, very naturally, very peacefully, just as ordinary citizens of the Greek state. So when we talk about this uh, rise of sexual assaults in Greece, and there's, there's absolutely no denial about that fact, um, and in the context of love jihad, we're not just talking about any Muslim immigrants to Greece, uh, as we do also have a Albanian immigrant population, for example, um, and they uh, generally don't engage in, in such behaviours um, such as sexual assaults and whatnot. So it's a very, it's very specific to the Pakistani and Afghani communities within Greece. And some of your viewers may say, uh, well, why does Greece have such a large community of, of Afghanis and Pakistanis? And we don't know their exact number because actually the overwhelming majority of them may uh, have entered Greece illegally from 2015 onwards. Uh, at the peak of the refugee crisis um, in Europe. So they were entering from Turkey. They threw away their identity cards. They claimed to be Syrian refugees, even though most of them were actually Pakistani or, Af or Afghani, and they were able to enter Greece uh, in this way uh, with full support from the Turkish government um, on top of that as well. So this is how we've, we, we've built up this large uh, community of Pakistanis mostly male, mostly illegal residents who, unfortunately, our government is extremely slow in processing them and expelling them back towards uh, their home countries because we do not recognise them as asylum seekers. So in this way, you are correct. Uh, we do have a thriving Muslim population of approximately 150,000 individuals, leftover remnants from the Ottoman Empire who were not uh, forced to migrate to Turkey during um, our own uh, population exchange. So this is very interesting. So, but then what is the specific uh, cultural issue that, that seems to be emanating just uh, from the Pakistani community primarily and then obviously the Afghanistani community uh, which is a subset in these crimes committed too. Now, what, what, what exactly? And I know, I mean, maybe if you could, you know, talk about a few of those crimes that you have shared uh, it's, uh, itself in the thread. Maybe people get a perspective of what exactly is happening out there. And I know these crimes are very disturbing, but uh, I guess there is no other way out other than talking about them and making people aware of it. Sure. It's, it's quite interesting to note that Athens was once upon a time the safest capital city in the European Union. Uh, generally speaking, it is still a very safe community, uh, a capital city, um, my apologies. However, there are certain neighbourhoods that are absolutely no-go zones now, um, particularly at night. So I'll give an example of... Um, one disturbing crime that I believe happened towards the end of last year. And there was one woman who went to this particular neighbourhood called Omonia, uh, close to the centre of Athens. And she has mental issues. And she was lured into an alleyway by an Afghani man uh, who then proceeded to rape her. And after he finished raping her in the alleyway, she ran to the street asking people for help. 
and four Pakistani men um, offered to help her and they took her back to their apartment and said they'll call the police and, and help her. However, instead, the four Pakistani men also raped her. Um, so that's that's one horrific crime where, where this poor woman was sexually assaulted in two occasions by five separate individuals. Um, the most recent case which prompted me to, to use this word, love jihad, is the case of Nicoletta, a 17-year-old girl who was uh, murdered on Monday by her 22-year-old Pakistani uh, boyfriend. It was uh, initially reported that he was 30 years old. However, that was uh, incorrect and he was 22 years old. And he, he was... Uh, he lived for a certain period of time with Nicoletta, uh, her sister and her mother. Her mother gave the boyfriend a set of keys to the apartment. And on Monday when she was home alone and the sister and her mother were out of the house, he entered the apartment with the key, uh, murdered her as she tried breaking up with him, and then he fled to the neighbouring country of North Macedonia. Thankfully, he's been handed over to Greek authorities um, as of this morning. And this is quite interesting because what the reason why I bring up this specific case as, as a case of love jihad is that Greece is going through a, a, a kind of uh, cultural and societal decline in the aftermath of the devastating economic crisis that, that we've faced since 2008 and especially from 2010 onwards. And we're only starting to come out of this economic crisis now. We've still got a long way to go. But we saw the breakdown of the family unit, traditional values, family values, all of these things with, with the economic decline. And we sort of saw degeneracy. Um, I don't mean to sound like an old man or something, uh, but we saw the rise of rap music in, in, in Greece during this period too. So now it's one of the most popular musics, which is also having an influence on street culture in, in Greece. And within this context, we see that anti Antifa um, has become extremely popular in Greece. And there's absolutely nothing wrong in wanting to into objecting fascist values, of course, but that does not mean then that we also ignore Islamic fascist values um, and their strategies that they employ, which I would argue Love Jihad is certainly one of them that they'll deploy in, in, in Greece. So in this way, we, we see lots of Greek youth trying to rebel against their parents and, and some younger girls, they'll try to date older Pakistani or Afghani um, men knowing that it will, uh, frankly, piss off their parents um, and, and in ways like that. It's, it's very juvenile, very degenerate. However, with this, there's also been a rise of um, sexual assaults, um, kidnappings, um, and, and extortions and, and things like this. And this is really strongly coming for, particularly from the Pakistani community in Greece um, at the moment. But then this is fascinating. Why is it? So it's clearly there is something wrong in a cultural system. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, that that clearly does not overlap with Greek values. Uh, and uh, also what is interesting is that the, the, the gender ratio 
you know, is very skewed when it comes to all these immigration patterns, right? It's not like the family, you know, I'm sure there are decent Pakistanis. Most of them must be decent people, you know, must be. Uh, but it's not like those families are coming there, right? With the child and the wife. It's all young men who who might have, let's say, certain you know, issues, uh, I think psychological issues or monetary issues or or they must be religiously charged up uh, through, you know, different ways and stuff like that. And and it is always a, a subset that comes and creates the problem, right? It's not like, you know, this guy is coming with his whole family and they're all suddenly preying on people. It's never that pattern, right? No, it's, it's, and you're absolutely correct. So in from 2015 onwards with the migrant crisis, it was not families that, that were entering Greece. It was overwhelmingly single men, um, overwhelmingly. And it's, it's quite dangerous because we have to acknowledge um, that we have a historical memory of 400 years of being under uh, Ottoman, Turkish, Muslim occupation. The West does not have such a historical memory. India certainly does. The Greeks certainly do. Uh, the Norwegians, the Swiss, the Belgians, the whoever's, they certainly don't. So we cannot afford to, to be able to have the same worldview as they do uh, because we have dangerous neighbours, we have this historical memory, and we can't just uh, close our eyes to this historical memory. It doesn't mean that we become overly paranoid or something. Um, of course not, but we certainly just can't push it away to the side and, and, and have, a, I would argue, a quite naive uh, uh, worldview. So it's quite disappointing that, that, that as Greeks, some of the youth can't acknowledge or do not acknowledge that there are certain cultural clashes that can't be reconciled. Um, there is certainly Christian uh, or, or Greek Christian Orthodox values that clash with Hindu values, but that doesn't mean that one is worse or one is better than the other. It's just that simply they're, they're not compatible, but it doesn't make you a bad person or something like that. And young Greek people just need to accept that certain cultures are not compatible with our culture. And unfortunately, we're going through a process right now where we're learning this the hard way. Um, instead of just looking back at our own ancestors' experiences. Now, the point here that anybody might ask as a pushback is that uh, this is a very small subset. We cannot draw any large conclusions even about Pakistani. Uh, I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate here because unfortunately, whether people like it or not, when it comes to grooming gangs, there is only one community involved across Europe. I don't know how else to say it, but uh, it all came to light through the British grooming gangs. Anybody who does not know what it, what we're talking about should go and check. But the natural pushback will be, look, we cannot just typecast all Pakistanis like that. You know, there are many Pakistanis who might be doing these things. But So how does one draw the line? May, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is where does one draw the line? It's, it's a very fair question, and I think it also depends in, in perhaps which country you come from. So when I look at it from the Greek perspective, I've got absolutely no tolerance for taking any kind of risk. And what do I mean by risk? Now, we're talking about Pakistanis as people. Now, of course, is each individual person dreadful? No, of course not. But they do 
originate from a hostile country. So even though as individuals they may be perfectly fine, um, the state that they come from is certainly hostile towards Greece. Now, I'll give some examples of, of Pakistani hostilities towards other Greek people. Um, Pakistan, along with Bangladesh, for a small period of time, were the only countries in the world that recognised the Turkish occupation of northern Cyprus. Um, so to this date, uh, since 1974, when Turkey occupied northern Cyprus, no country in the world recognises the independence um, of, North, of, of, of the Turkish occupation. Pakistan and Bangladesh were the only countries that did so until international pressure forced them to retract that, that, that recognition. Nonetheless, in the last month and a half alone, you've had the new Pakistani Prime Minister Sharif, you've had one of the military leaders, I apologise, his name escapes me, and you've also had the Speaker of the Parliament, if I'm not mistaken. Shabaz Sharif in... is the new Prime Minister, right? Shabaz yes. Sharif. Shabaz Sharif, uh, the Prime Minister, one of the military heads and the Speaker of the Parliament. These three different individuals on three separate occasions in the last month and a half alone have voiced their support for, for the Turkish occupation of Cyprus. Uh, we know that after Erdogan purged the Turkish Air Force of its uh, pilots because uh, he believed that was the um, where the coup attempt against him began in 2016, nearly the entire Air Force was, was purged and to, to replace many of the, the pilots for a long period of time, there was Pakistani pilots um, flying Turkish airplanes that were violating Greek airspace. Uh, so these are just a few examples of, of the uh, close-knit relationship between Pakistan and Turkey. And normally if it was just a cultural thing or an economic thing, you wouldn't ordinarily care. But when it becomes actively hostile towards you, then we as Greeks cannot afford to allow a Pakistani community that could potentially... Um, that could potentially become uh, extremely hostile in, in, in a potential Greece, uh, Greece and Turkey war. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's certainly not a situation that we want to deal with. So as hostile as it may sound, uh, Greece and specifically Greece, we cannot afford to take a risk of building a community that's very Turkophile and that could very, very easily become hostile to Greece in case of, of, of a war with Turkey. That's interesting because uh, I did not know about this bit about the Pakistani foreign policy, foreign policy when it comes to Greek, uh, Greek, uh, Greeks and Greece. Because to be very honest, uh, Indians have quite a few things to understand about Pakistan from an Indian perspective. So I guess we never looked at how much Pakistanis had a problem with Greece. So this is very interesting. So, so how, what is the history of Pakistani hostility with Greece then? It is basically about the Ottoman Empire and the Turkic uh, Greek thing. And because uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm obviously being uh, very generalized over here, but uh, Turkey is Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood. I support Muslim. Greeks are not Muslim. So I support Turkey. So Greek sucks. It, it's... it's, it's... As pretty much as schizophrenic as it is, that's pretty much uh, how it is. So if we're being frank and honest, there is absolutely no reason why Pakistan should be hostile to Greece, just as there should be no good reason why Turkey should be hostile to India. Um, however, as they're both motivated by regressive ideologies, they both find affinities with each other. Um, you know, Pakistan has its own... Um, 
emboldened and vision of taking all of Jammu and Kashmir and Turkey has their emboldened vision of a neo-Ottoman empire. And they don't find contradictions with each other. They find motivation in each other, actually. So most Indians, I assume, have uh, know some elementary details about the Armenian genocide. However, amongst the 1.5 million Armenians killed was also up to 1 million Greeks killed um, within the same genocide. And one of the architects of this genocide was Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, who's today considered the founding father of Turkey. He was also a great ideological inspiration for Ali Jinnah. So in this way, Ali Jinnah himself found inspiration in Ataturk, a perpetrator of genocide, um, up to three million Christians killed at, at, on his orders. Um, and Ali Jinnah found the way that modern Turkey was created at the hands of Mustafa Kemal Ataturk as inspiration. So I think even at the very foundations as modern states, Turkey and Pakistan, you know, they were built on the same ideology effectively, or at least uh, Ali Jinnah to a certain extent adopted some of the the the, ideolo the ideology that founded Turkey. Uh, beyond that, though, I would also argue that Pakistan is going through another evolution of, of their own mythology building. Um, as we all know, there's a huge identity crisis in Pakistan, or at least I would argue that, that Pakistanis have a huge identity crisis. And right now, I would say they're shifting from what was once a sort of Arab um, identity into a Turkish one um, or, or, or a Turkic one. Um, and I find it quite interesting because as, as, as they're adopting a more Turkic or creating a Turkic mythology to, to their own identity, um, as BS as it might be, uh, this is what's also bringing them much closer to Turkey. In this way, most Greeks feel, and this isn't just my opinion, but it's a quite a broad feeling, is, is that Pakistan, we Greeks are starting to see Pakistan as an extension of Turkey. In the last few years, we ourselves have been extremely naive about Pakistan, extremely naive about Jammu and Kashmir. We still are naive. However, as our own um, security becomes threatened by Pakistan more and more and more, we're starting to learn more about Kashmir. We're starting to learn more about the ways of Pakistan, um, Pakistani culture, at least how it exists within Greece among single men. Um, and whatnot. So we've we've been going through a lot of evolution actually at, at the moment in in learning about each other's security issues, um, the 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 different threats that we face, uh, how we can collaborate. So slowly, slowly, as we start to understand each other more and more, um, and as Greek and Indian relationships build, uh, we'll we'll be able to counter this threat more. However, as I said, I don't want to speak about other European countries and, and, and how they might view their Pakistani communities because if we look at the UK, for example, they, that had entire families moving to, to the United Kingdom, which is not what happened in Greece. So I can only speak about the Greek context. And we literally do see them as a hidden force that can be activated by Turkey whenever um, they receive the orders. Now, as that might be extremely... Paranoid, but as the way that the geopolitical uh, situation is at the moment and the very close relationship between Turkey and Pakistan, I don't feel that, that it's overly paranoid to, to have this fear. No, but uh, 
honestly you've kind of said it's not but what if somebody accuses you of um, of uh, straw manning the entire case and trying to draw a trend line look it's my job to ask you these questions i i, I don't know how else am i supposed to do it oh no 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 it's it's, it's great so it, it, it's 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 a very valid question and from my position um is i don't give a damn uh that that's 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 effectively my answer and the reason why i don't give a damn is because it comes back to what i said earlier about having historical memories and and the people who might accuse me of being straw manning how many of them exist in greece very little how influential they are not at all um so if i was to be accused of this and i'm very sure i will be it will most likely be someone from western europe and as i said they don't have the historical memory uh that we as greeks do have to draw on so we have a legitimate fear and this fear isn't based on nothing it's based on real events that happened that affects us to this very day even if they did happen 1 2 or 300 years ago they still affect our lives today and it's up to us to to change the course for our children moving forward as well so for me to be accused or gaslit by someone with a very western liberal ideology i wouldn't not take that quite seriously because it's very easy for people to think that greece is quite a western european country uh we're not uh we're 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 a, we're a eurasian people you know currently our territory might be within the bounds of europe but our people our culture and what not extends into eurasia as well so we cannot afford to just look at the world through a an exclusively western lens we have to look at it for our very geographic position you know we if you look at greece on the map we're the very first christian country before the muslim western asia begins or the muslim uh, middle east begins so we are literally the frontline country between western liberal democracy secularizations uh influenced by a christian past uh we're the front line of 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 this uh beginning of ideology in europe uh are we completely engulfed within that western european ideology no of course not but we're the beginning of of where that ideology begins before we hit the islamic uh middle east or western asia however you want to term it so we can't afford to be naive we 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 can't afford to um uh be careful with words or or things like that my argument would be is that i myself um uh completely encouraged that that our muslim inhabitants our recognized muslim inhabitants are empowered so just recently in Greece we opened up a new Alevi Chem worship house now the Alevis are a mostly persecuted muslim minority that exist in Turkey and we've just recently opened up a worship house for them uh within their minority zones and that's something i completely support and encourage uh, but that this is but they exist within a culture within their villages uh within their culture and they've got their way of life and by having muslim immigrants uh not specifically muslim immigrants but especially pakistani immigrants coming into athens not only is is the very face of athens changing in some neighborhoods but even the very safety 
the crime figures absolutely cannot be denied. Um, as I said, if you look at Athens, it was once upon a time the most safest capital city in the European Union, which was quite a phenomenal achievement considering it's a city at that time of over 4 million people. Um, and that's completely changed. Now there's complete no-go zone. So from my perspective, if I'm going to be accused of something, I don't really care. And fortunately, I exist within Greece where that view where it might be controversial is within a very, very small minority. However, if we're in the United Kingdom or Canada or the USA or Germany or whatnot, I can understand why, why uh, someone might want to tread carefully. Oh, it's very interesting that you've said that because the 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 outside world's image is that, you know, it's the European Union, the European Union has a certain way, and then there are certain dominant members of the European Union. And whatever is the view of the dominant members of the European Union seems to be superimposed on the view of every single state over there in Western Europe. And if you talk about any other discussion beyond the boundaries of that, you know, you always have uh, the one, I, what is it, Hungary uh, is the one or Poland? I forgot the one particular case where there is a right-wing government and, uh, uh, you know, and they, they you know, the, the Western discourse, uh, Western discourse is always uh, kind of skewed against hungary and they keep talking about how hungry is this hungry is look i'll i'll be very honest i don't follow follow hungarian politics i but then i have epistemic humility to not opine on it i, I will say so i'll give you an example and this is my experience on commentary on india for example i was listening to a podcast of a friend i'm not going to take the name is because i i am very fond of that friend and it has nothing to do with my friend my friend had a guest on and the guest starts with this line. This is your standard Western commentary on India. I don't know much about Indian politics. This is the first line, right? The second line ideally should be, so I will not comment. But that is never the second line. The second line is, I don't know much about Indian politics, but I don't like what's happening in Hindu India. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but it's a natural reaction to such a statement. It's 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 always like this in Western European liberal circles. Now, I'll be fully honest. I'm a Hindu, but I am actually in agreement with very a lot of liberal principles. I got no issues with liberalism in many ways. I'm very libertarian. I like to be left alone. But the point is, when I listen to you speak, I see a distinct Greek identity and Greek people wanting to be different. But there is this superimposition of the European Union or a Western European ideal or a North American way of looking way that kind of, you know, and, and let me tell you, my own people are guilty of Occidentalism. You know, how much as we want to uh, uh, accuse the West and it's on fair terms of Orientalism. There is a lot of Occidentalism. And so what you are explaining over here is like, yes, there is the West, but we're different. We're different. So please treat us as individual entities. And that Occidentalism stems from where I come from, right? My people would be like, Are, but Germany, you know, Angela Merkel says this, or, or let's say somebody in England says that. So by default, the Greeks also might feel the same way. How do you deal with that kind of Occidentalism then? It's... it's 
A fantastic question because it's actually quite frustrating to always having to go through this. Um, unfortunately, we're a civilization that has existed for 4,000 years, but we've been reduced to a country of 10.4 million people and then partially occupied island of Cyprus of, un, of less than 1 million people. Uh, so although we might have the, the golden laurels of, of our history, we've got that doesn't translate into any kind of political, military or geopolitical power. Uh, and that's an issue that India certainly does not face, obviously being a country of, of 1.3, 1.4 billion people with its own agency and capabilities. Um, unfortunately, as we're such a small populated country, uh, facing an aggressive country next door of 85 million people uh, that has far more geopolitical and economic importance than what Greece does. Uh, that's the harsh reality. Turkey is a much more uh, important military power, economic power, and, and has a much more important geography compared to Greece. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a huge frustration as we too um, are expected to follow Western liberal ideals. However, we have a very strong Greek Orthodox Church, which to this day still influences people's lives in a very significant and meaningful way. So while most of Western Europe has gone through secularization, the Greek Orthodox Church continues to play a very important role. And they're the harbingers, at least, of traditional values in, in Greece. So so long as the church has an important role within Greece, uh, there's always going to be a backlash towards complete Western liberal ideals. So when I talk about liberal ideals as well, I think we've also got to make a distinction of Western liberal ideals, but even that can be broken up into, okay, British or American liberal ideals, and even within their countries, they've got their own division. So, you know, it's quite a loose term. Um, so when I speak out against liberalism, it's not necessarily against liberalism itself, but more specifically Western liberalism as it aims to cheapen our unique cultures. It aims to cheapen and, and sort of um, impose a more globalised uh, Western culture that doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, one of the amazing things that I truly enjoy about Europe is that you could drive five hours across three or f you, you could drive five hours in a car and drive through three or four different countries with different um, cultures and languages and, and, and whatnot. And that's something that should be preserved and not something that should be cheapened into McDonald's and Hollywood movies and, and, and whatnot. So going back to your initial point, I do find it extremely frustrating that we're expected as Greeks to have the same values that Westerners do, but we don't come from the same cultural sphere. We come from a Greek Orthodox tradition um, uh, at the moment. Uh, we've come after 400 years of Islamic occupation, so we've, which, which obviously 400 years of Turkic occupation had a significant cultural influence over the Greeks, linguistic influence. I, you know, that's inevitable, of course. Uh, as an occupied people, you begin adopting um, certain aspects from, from the ruling class or, 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 the, or the dominant uh, uh, class. So at the same time, too, though, we as Greeks have a history, as bizarre as it may sound, of being orientalized as well. So for a long time, 
period of time, we were only considered uh, to be Christian Turks or, or not the original in, inhabitants of, of uh, ancient Greece. You know, we're, we're, we're a mongrel race, effectively. This, this was a very strong discourse in 19th and 20th century Western Europe. So in a very strange way, we've... Um, we're expected to follow Western liberal values, even though we come from a completely different culture and historical perspective, whilst at the same time we're lambasted for not being identical to how the ancient Greeks were because uh, supposedly the ancient Greeks were only white-skinned with blue eyes and uh, blonde hair, you know, kind of uh, Alexander the Great, apparently, uh, every ancient Greek looked like. So we've been very orientalized in, in, in this way. Mm. It's very interesting, but the average understanding of Greek culture, let me tell you, amongst the Indians would be very low. So, okay. Now, this is a good question asked by a viewer, so I, and I think it's it's important I ask you this. How does one differentiate between love jihad and a genuine interrelationship, like an interreligious relationship? Oh, I mean, as long as there's, I would say, as long as there's no motive for conversion, then go ahead. Uh, so, quite interestingly, I'll give my own anecdote. I don't consider myself Christian Orthodox. I'm uh, married to a Catholic woman who's currently going through conversion to Greek Orthodoxy. Um, that's her choice. I don't care. If she wants to be Catholic, she can be Catholic. If she wants to be Greek Orthodox because it will make her feel more assimilated into Greek society and Greek culture, great, go ahead. Me personally, I don't consider myself Christian. So as long as it's genuine love, without any sort of motive uh, towards conversion. You know, it's, it's, I think it's very straightforward in that regard. Generally speaking, however, though, there is, when we look at the examples that have existed, there's always been an element of open-mindedness initially, and then as the relationship develops and as the love grows, then the question of marriage will come up. Uh, and then when the question of marriage comes up, then, of course, the question of in which uh, institution will it be held in? Will it be a mosque? Will it be a church? And then, you know, will the children be Muslim? Will the children be Christian? So in this way, it's, 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 it's a long, drawn-out process towards uh, the final Islamification. Um, so it's impossible to know who's uh, somebody's motives are. You can never know. You can never be inside somebody else's heads. Uh, so I would stress that, you know, if you do enter such a relationship, just look out for red flags. Just be completely honest with yourself. It doesn't mean that if there's a talk of conversion that you immediately cut it off. But if there's a push towards conversion, then, you know, that's certainly a red flag and that's something that you must question. So, you know, you just have to be, have your wits about you. Don't be naive. And and uh, that's all I, I would say. Yeah, but even in that case, what if somebody falls in love and they do want to convert? I know it's, it's look, I, I'm a Hindu. I find this whole conversion business very absurd myself because I come from a religion that that's pretty, you know, non-predatory if I was to use that word with full responsibility. So, but some people just convert. I, I, they convert because it makes their life easy. They convert. Now you could come back to me and say that that, that premise itself, that it makes their lives easy shows that what they're, 
getting into itself is a rigid system and point taken I, and i take your point but but the thing is that you know what i noticed in all this love jihad talk in india was that uh, uh you know at times what happens is that the point being made by let's say person x might be nuanced but then it gets taken over and hijacked by a certain section and they run with it and all you see in that certain section is just outright bigotry that's the problem it's quite so there's a very fine line between okay identifying what the problem is and then hijacking it and using it as an opportunity for blatant bigotry or racism of course so we as individuals and as a society need to be mature enough to 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 make these distinctions i would say though at least within the greek context you know and remember we're only a small country of 10.4 million people and with up to 100,000 pakistani men in greece you know where we're talking about a, a significant population and from our perspective i i and please correct me if i'm wrong within india there's there's a muslim population has existed for hundreds of years so they they they're not uh recent immigrants to india the, the muslim population one in greece it is a very recent muslim uh, a very recent pakistani population my apologies it's a very recent pakistani population has only existed for about 7 years or so um so i think that's a very key distinction because in india you know they're a part of your country they're your citizens while in greece they're foreigners who have come and made a huge impact a huge negative impact on on our country and i'll go back to to the cases that that i've documented on my twitter account and of course that's only just a few examples and you say well that happens in other communities greek men rape of you know greek men are, are engaged in femicide and kill women and rape and sexual assault and uh, extortion and kidnapping etc etc of course there's absolutely no doubt about that um however it 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 certainly appears that there's a there's a disproportionate number of pakistanis engaging in these types of crimes compared to the general population um and i don't just mean the greek population but i also mean compared to the albanian population that exists in athens or the african the west african population that that exists in um in athens or the egyptian or the syrian uh communities uh so athens is quite multicultural it's not as if there's uh, just greeks and then we've just got a certain amount of pakistanis and afghanis you know we're quite vibrant uh we've got people from the caucasus from the middle east from north africa to west africa to 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 my own wife who comes from south america um however there's just seems to be not seems to be there is a a a much more high proportion of amount of pakistanis in greece that are engaging in these sexual assaults um it, it, there's really truly horrific cases that that i can recount and and i won't go into them but i already did give the one of the the men the mentally handicapped woman who was raped by the afghani and then later by uh, the four pakistani men these are crimes that we've never heard of in greece before these are completely new this is something that's that's completely foreign to us and then i don't mean that in an oriental way uh, i mean that in a sense that we've just never heard of these types of crimes happening before and and um 
particularly the motivation behind some of these crimes. And this is why many Greek people feel frustrated because uh, our independence, our, 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 our success in achieving independence was a brutal slaughter and expulsion of Muslims. Now, I'm not saying that with pride. I'm just saying that as the historical reality. That's that's what happened. When we achieved our independence from the Ottoman Empire, it was a complete wholesale slaughter of Muslims or expulsion of Muslims because we wanted to eradicate that ideology. And we feel frustrated that we're just allowing this ideology to be re-imported uh, so easily back into Greece after we engaged in such a long struggle to to have it completely expelled from 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 our lives and from our uh, civilization. All right. So then, what do you make of the whole immigration policy of the European Union? Because again, you are part of the European Union, right? Greek. It, Certainly, and it's it's one that has to be done with maturity, uh, with insight. I myself, as you can tell from my accent, was born in Australia to to Greek uh-huh. parents. My wife is uh, Brazilian, living in Greece, so I'll be a complete another hypocrite if I was against immigration. Um, obviously, uh, so it, it just has to be one of very careful selections we have to identify certain countries that have cultures that are more easily adaptable to europe and that's not so difficult i mean there's there's um lots of west african countries uh um perhaps the most famous athlete in greece at the moment um yanis antepokuku who plays in the nba the most uh one of the most famous basketballers at the moment um in in the usa uh there's many East Asian cultures or Filipinos or, or Latin Americans who, who can more than easily come to Europe and fill in the labor gap because Greece too does have a labor shortage. Um, unfortunately, we're a highly urbanized population with people not wanting to work in agriculture. So this is why we do have quite vibrant um, immigrant communities because they come to Greece to fill in the, the labor shortage uh, that, that isn't being fulfilled from the local population. Uh, so more towards Europe, it's it's they, I would say they do to wake up to themselves, be very uh, realistic about how um, integration works, assimilation works and things like this. And, and to be completely honest that we can respect foreign cultures, but they have to respect uh, the culture of their home country too. And unfortunately, for the sake of ideology or for the sake of not trying to be branded as something, um, we, for a certain period, Europeans lost their senses, completely lost their senses. Uh, we saw the in, in Cologne, in Germany, the New Year's Eve incident where several dozens of women were being sexually assaulted and groped and grabbed and and whatnot by by recent um illegal immigrants to to germany now we've gone past the worst years of that but we still haven't completely woken up and and fully understood what kind of irreparable damage that we could do to ourselves um the united kingdom after three or four generations the pakistani community is still not fully integrated into into the mainstream um, British society. 
It's, I went to university for a semester in Bradford in Yorkshire, Northern England, which, if I'm not mistaken, is between 30 and 35% Pakistani, who mostly arrived after partition in the 1950s uh, and 1960s. And, you know, they're up to their third, sometimes even fourth generation Pakistani-born uh, uh, Britons, and they're still not fully assimilated yet. Now, I don't think that's a matter of religion. Uh, necessarily because there's other examples of Muslim communities who are able to successfully integrate into the UK or Australia or Canada or, or whatever. So perhaps it's more of a cultural issue um, and we have to acknowledge the, those those differences. That's interesting. So uh, again, I do not uh, know much about Tommy Robinson, but this actually question is because right, you just mentioned UK. So do you think uh, Tommy Robinson was in a way right then when he was talking about all this mess that is there in Europe? But I mean, if I, from what I've understood, he was condemned and he was shut up. Maybe his rhetoric was too far right and he enabled the others, uh, the crazies on the other side. So so how does one do it when when uh, because I remember Tommy uh, Robinson was accused of being look, I, I once again, I'm saying I'm just stating what he was accused of being. I do not know what he is. I have not followed his material in, in absolute detail, but he was called white supremacist or he was called uh, X, Y, Z. You know, the soccer hooligans were there. And then inside the soccer hooligans, there was a white supremacist element in them. So I don't understand this. Like, how, do, how does one have a conversation around this subject without weaponizing every section? It's it's quite interesting. So I won't comment on Tommy Robinson at all, but I think it's a greater reflection of what um, Western liberal ideology has done to the United Kingdom and certain elements of Western society, where where it's itself where it's supposed to be a liberating ideology, one of freedom and of liberation and whatnot, has actually become quite um, constrained and dogmatic. Um, in the sense that, that we can't even have conversations about these issues anymore without being branded or, or, or labelled as something. So in that sense, uh, for, for the sake of preserving this, this um, ideology, itself has become quite authoritarian. It's, it's quite a great shame because some of the greatest liberal thinkers um, of centuries past originated from Europe, uh, Western Europe, uh, the United Kingdom and whatnot. And now they themselves, I would argue, have regressed into some of the most authoritarian societies, at least when it comes to debating such issues. Um, I feel that it's probably much easier in Greece and perhaps in India, and of course I can't speak on, on, on India's behalf, but uh, perhaps it's easier to have these discussions in our own countries than what it is at the moment. In the United Kingdom now, I've, of course, um, perhaps in India you might be labelled this or that or, or whatever it is, but uh, that 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 kind of comes in in the game if you're going to enter politics and, and whatnot. So I guess it doesn't make it right, but but it's something that you're going to have to expect from those who might be intellectually inferior to you. So it's part of the game, um, but at least in India you can have this conversation. In the United Kingdom, I'll argue that that it's almost impossible at the moment to to do that. So, how how okay? This is an interesting question that a viewer has asked. They say, then how the hell do these incidents don't get any mainstream media, or do they get any mainstream media attention in the European Union at all? Uh, because like, 
uh, you have given uh, the Greek city times, obviously inside of your nation has a serious following, but I'm just talking about, is this a matter of discussion in mainstream media in Europe? No, not at all. And I believe that uh, relatively speaking, it's, it's, it's not a major issue for Europeans because within their certain ideological framework, they don't see this as an issue. You know, they, they just see cheap labor arriving in, in Europe to, um, to compensate for the, for the once growing middle class, which is, you know, certainly not happening now with the war in Ukraine happening. Uh, the Europe's uh, middle class is beginning to diminish, but nonetheless, this, this is, um, it's not a big enough issue for Europeans uh, uh, and never has been. And now that there's an economic crisis just around the corner, it's certainly not going to be an issue coming up anytime soon um, with winter just around the corner and gas shortages and, and whatnot. So if we look at Europe at the moment, uh, Germany, Germany has already started to shut down swimming pools uh, because of fears that there's going to be energy shortages uh, during the winter time. So in the middle of summer, the they're shutting down public swimming pools. Uh, so within this context, uh, it's, it's just not a conversation that's being had at all. And if it was, it's certainly not a European-wide conversation. Hmm. All right. I guess then the natural follow-up question would be, what is the solution to this mess? Like, do you think the Hungarian approach of zero immigration is the best? Like somebody has asked this, then how does one go about dealing with this problem? Because obviously, look, I think in that sense, Canada is a very interesting immigration system. They do take in refugees. Canada makes it out as if, you know, they're taking millions of refugees. They don't, they barely take like a few thousand every year, by the way. Other than that, Canada has a very interesting points-based system where you get points for, let's say, if you have a master's degree. If you and your wife have a master's degree as a couple, you get extra points. If you have a master's degree and you have children, you get a certain number of points. It's like a point-based system. And that's the way they allow migrants into Canada. And Canada manages its immigration system like this. The American immigration system, let me tell you, is a complete and utter mess. The American immigration system is an absolute shit show. The Australian immigration system is very similar to Canada's. They have a point system and New Zealand too. So those are good systems. So do you think eventually the system is that all these societies basically shrink their uh, refugee quota, if I was to use the word, because that's what exactly it is. It's an refugee quota, which uh, you know Canada manages. And I'm telling you, for all the nice things Canada does and says, it oversells how much it does as far as the refugee <laughs> quota is concerned. You know, they'll make it sound as if, you know, a million refugees have been let in this year by Canada. No, it is just 25,000. And it's good they're doing that. But even in that, they're kind of careful about all these things. But do you think that the future is individualized immigration policies for all European nation members? I'll speak specifically about Greece and what I believe is that we need to have a quota for refugees, absolutely, but even that needs to be limited to which refugees we accept. So, for example, would I want Rohingya Muslims coming to Greece? No, um, as one example. But, you know, we the Syria, Syria is not too far away from Greece at all. We share the East Mediterranean community together with Syria, um, and we've accepted some Christian Syrian refugees as well, which I've got absolutely no problem with because we 
share a civilizational root together. Um, generally speaking, the Christian Syrians are generally speaking Greek Orthodox, um, a common East Roman um, root. Generally speaking, uh, the Christians are. So I fully support a refugee quota, very small given we're a country of 10.4 million people and we absolutely do need an immigration policy. But as I said, that must be very selective, very careful. I think the point-based system is great, um, but I think more importantly, rather than perhaps um, having a quota of immigrants, perhaps Greece should just continue its visa work uh, scheme. Now, unfortunately, our government attempted to open a visa scheme for Pakistan. We believe that we've... um, that they've uh, backtracked on, on on that ambition, but there's still a risk that they might go ahead with it. And I believe that we should continue going ahead with work visas, but towards countries that are friendly towards Greece. So the way that I see it specifically for Greece, um, there's got to be a geopolitical thinking behind uh, granting uh, as- asylum or granting work visas and whatnot. You don't just uh, specifically open it up just to any culture or any peoples, even if they are doctors or engineers or whatnot. There's got to, there has to be a compatibility, um, a likeliness that that a, that a person can assimilate in, into the country. Uh, generally speaking, education levels does help with that. It's, it's not conclusive, but it generally does help. Uh, so the more educated someone is, you know, the, the more likely they will be to to assimilate in, into a different country. So in this way, I just don't think it should be an open-door policy as the European Union once had, especially from 2015 onwards uh, with the refugee crisis, and now this is really reeling back from the effects of that. Um, that's my view. Yeah, that's interesting. Look, as far as I'm concerned, I think like I'm the first person, one of the biggest trepidations I had in even having this discussion was that, you know, I don't want to be an enabler of anti-Muslim bigotry. If you remember when we were having an offline chat on WhatsApp, that's the first line I told you. I was like, look, I don't want to be an enabler of anything of that sort because I'm not. In fact, one of the things that I end up blocking a lot of people who come and spew anti-Muslim hatred on my, my, you know, streams. And I don't want, I don't want to be doing that. I, I look at things from an objective way and I'm a, you know, moral objectivist. I believe certain cultures are better than other cultures. I don't know how else to say it. I I just said, uh, it doesn't mean I'm generalizing about every single person in that culture. Like I have friends who are Pakistani. Let me put this categorically on record. I have Pakistani friends in the West. I, I, I care deeply for them. But if I was to do a holistic analysis of Greek culture and Pakistani culture, let me put it categorically, Greek culture scores more points than Pakistani culture. And I'm not saying this to please anyone. That's my view. Does that mean all Pakistanis are inferior? No. But immigration policies have to be based on some objective moral standard. And maybe at times Indians may get a raw deal in that too. I don't care. It's it's India's problem. India, I'm not assuming India will because India is going to be such a huge economy that the world would want to come to India. So India should be worried about their own immigration policy. That's a separate issue because in the next two decades, you know, our economy is going to be huge and the world would want to come back to India. But the point is that 
every time you have a discussion like this paul you either get called an anti muslim hater which i'm clearly not because i fight against anti muslim bigotry on my own podcast you get called a genocide enabler of some some absurd thing but paul if i was to be honest with you i still don't understand the difference and maybe we can end on this what is the difference between grooming and then this particular aspect like i i still am not clear where the line for grooming stops and this starts like grooming is just wanting to sexually assault are you trying to say and uh, this is like not only do i sexually assault them then i convert them and i bring them back into the fold is that the differentiation you're looking at the grooming gangs in the united kingdom would generally um sexually assault the women or prostitute them uh for profiteering so they they would uh, uh have these girls they would entice them and then sometimes they would actually just sell the girls to their friends so you know one of their friends would come over give them 50 pounds and then they and then they'd force the girl to uh sleep with the man um or coerce them in, into sleeping with the man so there was a very criminal element with that uh you know almost like a pimp and prostitute relationship uh in some of these grooming gang cases with love jihad i believe within the great context it's a greater civilizational struggle uh one that the united kingdom doesn't necessarily face so i used the example before that the turkish president um said that they can just flood Greece with a million immigrants instead of invading Greece um to to wipe Greece off the map uh you know that came ex- expressively uh from the Turkish president and we know that Turkey and Pakistan have an extremely tight knit relationship that's only uh forever becoming closer and closer so from our perspective here in Greece we are viewing this as a challenge to 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 our own demography greece only this year uh, only only just one or two weeks ago actually released its latest census results in 2011 the greek population was 10.7 million people and we've now reduced to 10.4 million people so our population has declined um by by approximately 4 or 500,000 over the last decade uh as the greek population is declining the the pakistani community is slowly rising now i don't think you know there's going to be some population exchange or anything like that of course not it's it's it's, it's not going to descend in in some radical way like that but it does create a very very strong community and minority that we don't want and they have arrived without women um they're brideless they're single men and they specifically target impressionable people so i'll use the example of nicoletta again the the girl who was killed on monday she herself was actually sexually abused when she was 11 years old by an 80 year old pedophile and two albanian men um so of course the poor girl she would have been damaged uh she probably had a very skewed uh, or warped idea about sex and love and relationship and and things like this and um of course you know being young vulnerable you know it, it would have been very easily to manipulate a girl like that and and it's in this way that 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 certain people are targeted because they are vulnerable 
some of them do have their own trauma and 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 whatnot, and it's being taken advantage of. So it, it has created a huge controversy in this latest case with the murder of Nicoletta on Monday by the Pakistani man um, has really brought this 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 to the forefront. Grooming, we don't necessarily have grooming gangs, I, I, I would say, in Greece because we don't see Greek girls being coerced into prostitution or being shared amongst multiple um, Pakistani men um, and things like that. That's that's happened in, in the United Kingdom. From our perspective, it, it literally is a struggle of demography, not that we believe it will be replaced um, to, to use, you know, a racist white American um, uh, term. Um, we don't believe that there'll, there'll, there'll be a population uh, replacement or, or anything like that, but it does create major, major security concerns for us. Um, and it's absolutely intolerable for, for Pakistani-inspired or styled Islam to re-emerge in Greece. We already have Islam in the border regions with Turkey, we have Islam on the island of Rhodes. We have Islam on the island of Kos. Um, those communities have existed for hundreds of years in those locations. They're fully integrated into the Greek state. Um, and I think a case can be made because that's the influence of, of Greece um, over those populations. We have not allowed them to be influenced by Saudi money or Qatari money or um, the Turkish intelligence agents. However, the Pakistanis come from a completely different way of thinking where many of the men that are arriving were educated in madrasas uh, rather than receiving a formal education in a public school or a private school system um, with a proper curriculum. Uh, so in this way, we, we, we see this love jihad as another strategy being employed by Turkey to 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 destabilize and 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 to pressurize Greece. Well, I I don't know what else to say other than that I hope that is a sensible solution to this problem. Nobody wants uh, even one girl child to go through those horrific uh, experiences, irrespective of which uh, area, region, religion you belong to. Nobody should go through such a traumatic experience, and uh, you know our. Our attempt as as people to have these tough discussions, and believe me, this is a tough discussion, is 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 a challenge for a platform host like me. I don't know what is the line. I don't know where the line ends. I don't know where the line starts at times. I would be a liar if I did not know. Like I said, you know, one has to be very, very careful when, when they discuss these issues because they don't want to be any kind of an enabler. But if I would not have spoken about it, then then also I'm doing something wrong, right? I'm not raising my voice for those women who are suffering and who are victims of a of a particular kind of predatory mindset. Now, that predatory mindset could be there in 0.001% or it could be in 1% or it could be in 2%. I don't know the data. But the point is, I just don't know how to go about it. And you know what, Paul, I I just hope the Greek society finds uh, a solution to this problem, which is far better and far more uh, uh, far more efficient. I, I think the fundamental differences between Greece and India is that you have your own 
Muslim population that are fully integrated into the state um, and they do have citizenship and they have rights like any other Indian citizen, while our situation in Greece revolves around a mostly illegal immigrant community um, that that does overwhelmingly have a tendency to be Turkophile. I'll give one more example, actually, and perhaps I'll tweak this in, in, in a few hours' time. Just a few days ago on live television, a television crew asked an immigrant on live television what they thought about Greece, and he directly said, we don't know where the individual is from, but it's suspected to be Pakistan or Afghanistan. He said on live television that he plans to kill all Greek people. Um, and that was explicitly said on live television. So for us, I, I can appreciate some of the, the nuances that exist in India that does not exist in Greece, which is um, why, why there's perhaps less sensitivities that, that, that I don't have to um, step around uh, when discussing the Greek context. Um, because as I said, we literally just a few days ago on live television, we had an, uh, an immigrant saying that, that, that they were prepared to kill Greek people. Well, best of luck to the Greek folks. That's all I can say, Paul. Thank you once again for having me on. And as uh, just like last time, it was an absolute delight to explore these difficult questions and and bounce off each other to 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 talk about our own experiences within our neighbourhood and and what we can learn from that or what the differences are and 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 perhaps uh, how we move forward with it. Yep, I I agree with you, and like I said, you know, it's it's uh, these kinds of dis discussions are the toughest ones that I personally find hosting, because uh, that like I said, I don't want to be an enabler, but at the same time, I also want to make sure that I do talk about these issues, and I don't know if I'm doing a good job or a bad job. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, you only the viewers and the listeners and society will be a judge of that. I try my best in my in all my earnestness without any malice in my heart to have these discussions and I just leave it out there. As far as you know this podcast is concerned, this podcast tries to talk about a multitude of subjects. Uh, anybody who follows this from day one knows that's all I try to do. And I, I've had uh, discussions on casteism in Indian society, misogyny in Indian society, so just because I talk about a particular culture and certain cultural values emanating from a particular culture, all I'm telling you is don't judge me for that because I have gone after all bad ideas. So, you know, as far as uh, Paul is concerned, I'm really grateful for him to come back again. You can follow Paul on Twitter. I've left his Twitter handle. And also you can go and read all these articles on Greek City Times. You know, it's a very popular portal over there. You can go and follow the news uh, of that part of the world. It's always good to get a global perspective. In fact, one of the things that I have learned is my political analyses became better about India is when I started following politics outside India. Because when it comes to outside India, honestly, I don't have any, you know, as I say, dog in the fight. So I look at it from a very unemotional perspective. I'm not emotionally charged when I'm reading the Democrats or the Republicans because I don't care about them, to be very honest, beyond a point. I don't care about their politics. And, and then when I started reading them, I, I really learned my own individual blind spots about BJP, RSS, on Congress, on, on different players in India. So I would urge you guys to go and read different portals. And one of them is the portal that Paul writes regularly for. As far as I'm concerned, guys, you know the drill. You can like the video. You can subscribe to the channel. You can 
you know support the podcast monetarily through your membership on youtube or on patreon or by buying the merch or upi i'll see you guys next time until then take care bye bye